This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. This episode of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast series is the first of a two-part series on supporting kinship caregivers, specifically innovative partnerships, tools, and actions developed that improve how kinship families access services and resources they're eligible for. Hello, everyone. Tom Oates from Child Welfare Information Gateway here. Approximately one quarter of children in out-of-home care are living with relatives. While this is a preferred form of care as it helps maintain family connections and can offer a more familiar situation and environment for the child, there is a gap between some kinship caregivers and accessing myriad resources that are available. The causes of this vary. It can range from bureaucratic hurdles, a misunderstanding of eligibility, or even just plain awareness that services and resources are available. Compounding this is the fact that there are many kinship families that operate informally, They don't have a social worker connecting with them on a routine basis. So in a two-part series, we're going to share conversations with grantees of the Children's Bureau Family Connection Grants. And we're going to talk to these grantees on how they're using Kinship Navigator programs to take on the challenge of collaborating across multiple agencies to improve outcomes for kinship families in their community. Here in part one, we're going to focus on a project from California the 211 iFoster Kinship Navigator Collaborative. It's a self-serve online portal for kinship families, which was a collaborative between iFoster, a national nonprofit providing resources for those currently involved in or emancipated from foster adoptive and kinship communities. 211 California is part of this as well. They connect citizens of California with a comprehensive source of non-emergency services and also the United Ways of California. So these three groups partnered together to create the Kinship Navigator Collaborative. Now, we talked with Sarita Cox. She's the co-founder and executive director of iFoster, and she helps break down how the program was implemented, including how they located many of the informal kinship families. We also chatted with Michelle Rosenthal, who led the evaluation of the project, and you'll be able to see from what she provides about how the program was delivered and what the keys to successes, surprises, and feedback were from those families who took advantage. I encourage you to listen to the end as Michelle breaks down the findings, including the high rate of reunification that they pointed to this effort. There are also some great tips and takeaways for other agencies and professionals to connect kinship families to services in their local areas. Now, in part two, we're going to take a look at a project from Florida, which also leveraged some technology, so you'll want to look out for that episode as well. For now, the 211 iFoster Kinship Navigator Collaborative with Michelle Rosenthal and Sarita Cox. So, Sarita Cox, I want to start with you. And in California, there are more than 300,000 children in kinship care. So with the counties that were participating, what was the, uh, the, the big situation that you were trying to address? Uh, there were a couple of situations, actually. So of the 300,000 uh, children in kinship care in the state of California, 
the vast majority are actually in informal care, meaning that they currently do not have an open CPS case. So they are not necessarily getting the visits from social workers, as one would expect, and getting access to the typical suite of child welfare resources. That said, there are 60,000 kids in foster care in California, and 60% of them that are in placements uh, are with kinship. So we also have a good chunk of um, open CPS cases that are with kinship. They have it a little bit better off in that they are seeing a social worker and they're at, they have access to some resources. But at the end of the day, resources available under child welfare are um, are limited. They tend to be basic needs resources and they tend to um, be your usual kind of government benefit resources. And when you think about how you raise a child and all the variety of resources that are needed to um, raise a child, you only get a small sliver of it through uh, kin gap, as we call it here in the state of California, and uh, it, nothing at all, essentially, if you are in that larger group of 280,000 or so children that are in informal care. So how are we able to identify those, those informal care situations? That's a great question. And in actual fact, that was one of the biggest issues was how do you reach out to these unknowns? And uh, we used a variety of different um, ways of doing it. We worked in every county to figure out who were the likely candidates with who were these both formal and informal kinship caregivers and where might we find them. And that's how we actually did our outreach, going to fairs, going to um, uh, supermarkets, going to peer support groups, uh, going to churches, that sort of thing. So outreach was one of the big issues that we had to deal with. And then obviously the other big issue was, well, what resources exist that we can provide to them, uh, especially if they were not eligible for resources through child welfare. So then if you're able to connect with these folks, what were the biggest barriers that you had to overcome to kind of start to bridge that gap? You know, what was the big problem you were, you were really identified and uh, trying to solve for these, for these families? Access to resources that were in their ability to utilize. So free, low cost, and those above the basic needs. Yes, it's great to have discounts for groceries uh, and access to food banks if you really need that, but that that's just surviving. What everybody wants to do is have their kids thrive. And that means educational supports for our kids that are doing, that, that need help at school. Uh, it means recreational activities. And in fact, all of the kinship uh, evaluations came back with the uh, on the family needs scale very high that every kinship family was looking for time and experience to have fun and extracurricular activities with their family because that's so important. Yet you don't think about it when you think about your typical government benefits and what government benefits pay for. Yeah. What does a family look like and what does a family do? So exactly. You partner with United Ways of, of California and, and 211 of California. So what was the, the, the initial solution to try to address this issue and create this you know, greater awareness and then application of those resources? 
Well, the, the wonderful thing about 211 and iFoster is both of us have huge databases of resources. That is kind of what we do. 211 is the go to place for any kind of social service that you might want to have, but they extend beyond that. They extend to nonprofits that provide tutoring, nonprofits that have after school programs. Um, it, so it's a much broader suite that they have. And then where iFoster plays, is we work very closely with corporations and nonprofits that and government agencies that sit outside completely outside of social services uh, that could also bring to bear resources. And between the two of us, we could come together and create a very robust suite of solutions where if one family is looking, let's say, for tutoring, there might be three or four different options they're eligible for. Uh, and there could also be a few options they aren't eligible for uh, just because of their very nature. But the idea was to get a robust suite of services across essentially uh, seven different major categories of resources, K through 12 education, post high going to college and jobs for youth, um, technology. Technology is always a huge issue. So access to technology, um, it, it, health and wellness, obviously, beyond just physical health, uh, your daily living expenses. So those basic sort of things like groceries and furniture and clothing and things like that. Um, your um, advisors and support groups, this goes beyond just having um, mental health, but uh, legal help. A lot of our kinship families are in uh, having issues legally getting the right level of guardianship that they need to be able to take care of their kids. So all of that we brought together and then we worked with every county. We formed a county collaborative that was made up of service providers who worked with a variety of different types of kinship families, as well as kinship families themselves. And we actually filtered and curated all of these resources to the point that it became super personalized through the web mm -hmm. portal. So if you were a family in Riverside and you had a specific uh, age of kids that you serve, that you had, uh, if you had specific things you were eligible for or not eligible for, the resources you saw on the portal matched your need, matched who your family was, and matched what you were eligible for. And that's really what made it a very easy tool for any kinship family to use and be able to get the kind of services they need immediately without, you know, getting a list of services and only to find out that 10 out of the 15 of them, they, they weren't even eligible for. Sure. Let's pull on that for a little while, if I can. You, you mentioned the portal from the user perspective, from the family perspective, because you may have, you know, grandparents who aren't tech savvy. You may have folks who, who don't have, you know, constant access to technology or the Internet. What does that portal look like? What does that solution look like to the families on that service delivery end? It's an excellent question, and it was one, quite frankly, I think at the very beginning, and there were many people who were skeptical about whether an online resource portal would be utilized by a wide variety of kinship families, uh, given the exact, for the exact reasons you just mentioned, access to technology and comfort with technology. What we actually found, and, and Michelle uh, can definitely go into the details of the results there, is that a wide swath of kinship families 
use the portal, whether they were elderly or not elderly. Uh, we actually have a, a greater spectrum of kinship families um, just in demographics than one typically sees. So we actually pulled kinship families out of the woodwork, if you will, because the portal was so easy to use, accessible 24-7. I will tell you the majority of our kinship families tended to be online at around two in the morning, just that that seems to be when when they found the breathing room to go find the resources that they needed. Um, so it definitely helped. There were absolutely instances where we had people who did not who were not connected, could not connect, or did not want to connect for whatever reason. And we would do uh, we would do it for them. So they would just have to call in. We would actually do the searches for them, find resources they want, print it off, and snail mail it to them. So we've done that. We did that before. We have two one one operators who are fantastic at being able to do warm handoffs to specific uh, service providers, and that combination of being able to go offline as well as having the online, I think, allowed us to be able to serve as many kinship families as possible. So Michelle Rosenthal, Sarita just kind of set you up about what the expectations were. Talk to me about what you learned once you evaluated this. How effective is this being? How effective was this in terms of not only reaching families, but then having families actually take advantage of the services available? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk for a minute about um, the question you posed before about kinship caregivers actually utilizing the portal. So one of the questions that we started with was really how is the portal useful to them and how are, what's their experience like when they use it? So it was a mixed method study. So there was, um, there were qualitative, there was a qualitative component to the study. And in that qualitative component, we conducted qualitative interviews of kinship caregivers, 28 of them. And we really tried to dig deep and spend some significant time with kinship caregivers that had signed onto the portal to ask them about their experience. So what we found overall was that the top two resources searched by caregivers across all three counties were mental health resources for themselves and their children and recreational activities for their family. Um, but when we asked them about what the benefits were for this mode of what we began to call in our project, we saw it as a self-service delivery model. So really the opportunity for kinship caregivers to go online and look for what they and their family, their kinship children needed. So the things, um, the top three benefits that they reported were um, saves time for them by having an abundance of resources in a single searchable location. Um, also that the accessibility of needed resources puts caregivers in the driver's seat to navigate local resources in their community. So I think this gets this piece about accessibility really gets to the formal kinship caregiver, informal kinship caregiver piece, because by having all of these resources in one searchable location, even kinship families that weren't part of formal child welfare could find needed resources for themselves online. Um, the third top portal benefit reported by the caregivers was that new information and resources were discovered 
during their navigation search process. In other words, they found things that they weren't initially looking for, but that were helpful. Um, and overall, 23 out of the 25 repeat program portal users um, would recommend the online portal to other kinship caregivers. And these are folks, we interviewed folks, um, I think the youngest person was in her late 20s and um, the eldest caregiver was in the, um, her early 70s. Um, so there was quite a range of um, caregivers interviewed that found it useful. So I think that answers the first question of will they use it? Um, the other piece, though, that I just wanted to echo what Sarita, Sarita had already mentioned is that um, the model was intended to provide searchable resources online to kinship families. So it was a resource and referral model. Um, when we discovered that some kinship caregivers who registered were actually needing more intensive services, um, those folks were um, navigated to a resource hub or a resource um, you know, service center whereby they could receive more comprehensive um, suite of services. So it also had the ability to filter level of service and direct kinship families that needed more intensive services to the right community-based resource. Was that a benefit that you guys expected to see, or is that just a residual effect of folks coming to the portal and making themselves aware of the resources, but actually making the service providers aware of their need? Was that something you expected? Yes and no. I would say that we, because we formed these community collaboratives, we knew that there were kinship centers and resource centers existing in the community. And we knew that they would spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with uh, individual families and really help them through their issues. Because it, it's not just about, I'm going to the grocery store to buy groceries. These can be very intense emotional issues that people are working through that is far more than a um, transactional in nature uh, in order to be able to help them. And because our portal is essentially transactional, uh, we, needed, we needed to be able to identify who we could send people to when they needed more than a transactional interaction. I think it worked a lot better than we had thought it would uh, because you always worry when you do those handoffs, would there be that flow of information from us to the service provider who would provide more of a holistic support system and then back to us to, so that we can continue to provide the transactional services that they needed. And you can see a family goes through ebbs and flows. They might be fine with transactional services for a period of time. They're looking for clothing, they're looking for tutoring, they're looking for whatever. Then something happens and they need far more comprehensive holistic support you send them to a, a, a resource center, they get that kind of support. And then that resource center allows them to come back and works with them and with the portal for the transactional parts. That part, I don't think we, we, we understood how that would work 
we learned over time and we evolved it over time. So it actually became a very good uh, relationship. And we saw people flow between the two systems, if you will. Uh, and in actual fact, what ended up happening is a lot of organizations, a lot of those organizations use the portal continuously for their clients. So it really created an integrated network of supports, your transactional supports, and then your deeper, more one-on-one counseling-like supports. Did that answer your question? Yeah. In fact, what it, what it leads me to is asking those other agencies, those other communities across the, the country that are seeing this gap between the, the, the services available for, for, for kinship caregivers and the actual access and, and using of those to help, help the, the, the kids that are involved. So, so two things here, of both for you, Sarita, and, and Michelle. Sarita, first off, what is the key in identifying and gathering all of those resources and multiple partners all in one place? And because we know collaboration is difficult when folks are busy and folks have you know, various hierarchies that they need to report to. How did you get all of that together and get that collaboration between your groups and all the services uh, available? So uh, it does start with leadership and having leadership understand what we're trying to do. So our node of leadership involvement started with the county child welfare. So the highest um, decision maker, if you will, in the county for child welfare and getting their buy in. And once we had their buy in, we're, that we would bring around the table kinship caregiver providers and ancillary providers who may serve kinship caregivers, but they don't self-identify as, as that's what they do. And that we would bring them together with a common goal and purpose, and that is to better serve formal and informal kinship families in their county. Uh, once we had that buy-in and we brought together this collaborative, the collaborative itself was self-sustaining because they saw value in what was being created. At every single meeting, there were resources being shared just with between the organizations that one organization didn't know another organization provided, that they saw value in us doing the due diligence of finding all these resources, being tasked with, here are the top needs in my community for kinship caregivers, and us going out and trying to find resources, curate them, do due diligence on them, and uh, put them in the portal. Once they started seeing that there was value there and that the portal actually helped them as much as helped their clients, the idea of having a collaborative um, it, it, it became self-sustaining. Uh, and in actual fact, our collaborative still exists, uh, even though these uh, the Kinship Navigator project is, well, it's still, even the Kinship Navigator still exists, even though technically our project is done. Um, and we've actually used that collaborative model and replicated it with other programs that we use for transition age youth and our jobs program. And that model works very well. And M Michelle actually researched, the, the, evaluated the model as well as uh, the portal itself. So then for Michelle, for you, on, on then the flip side, kind of the, the, the service delivery end, what have been, from what you uh, gathered in your findings, what's the key then to connecting something like the portal that we're talking about? down to those families? How do you get those families to be engaged, to be trusting of the system, and then to utilize the, the portal itself? 
Yeah, well, I wanted to go back, if I may, to some of the um, some of the findings that we have from the evaluation, because I think that'll help inform this discussion. Um, is that okay with you, Tom? Absolutely. Okay. So I think one of the most important findings that we had had um, was around um, the family need scale, the scale that we use to measure changes in kinship family needs from pre to post. And that was over a year, a period of um, 12 months that families were engaged in portal use and registered and looking for resources. And we um, administered that measure at three different data points. There were 102 people that completed all three sets of the measures um, over that 12 months. But um, Interestingly, what we saw was that um, kinship caregivers that use the portal um, showed a statistically significant reduction in their family needs from baseline to 12 months in the following eight areas. Um, so it was in legal assistance and assistance related to benefits, dental care for the family, um, needs around belonging to caregiver groups or clubs, um, concrete resources like help getting furniture, importantly, someone to talk to about how things are going for you, um, time to do fun things with your family, which I think Sarita mentioned, and someone to talk to about your children. And if you remember before, I mentioned um, the top two resources searched were um, mental health resources, and you can see that in the reduction in family needs of um, someone to talk to about how things are going for you and also your children. So I think um, looking at that reduction in needs in eight areas is um, significant because as caregivers increase their use of the portal and program contact, we actually saw this reduction. Another really important finding um, is the stability of placement findings. Um, so almost all the caregivers in the study reported that their identified kinship child was still living in their home after 12 months. So we had a 97% rate of placement stability. And this was an issue that um, service providers who serve kinship families in the three demonstration counties, and those counties were Riverside, Monterey, and San Bernardino, um, many of those county collaborative members expressed that um, the best thing they could do as providers was to provide supportive services and be able to inform and educate and link their caregivers that they serve to these resources because they felt like that was the best way to um, help support the stability of placement. Um, and it, the data suggests that... Um, the portal really um, does contribute to that stability of placement. Um, I have some more findings that I would love to share if we have time um, about um, the county collaboratives in particular. Um, one of the things about the county collaboratives is that they um, actually, they were the part of the model, real people that had a lot of contact and knowledge and expertise with kinship caregivers would come together and meet regularly and talk about what, what in many cases were their shared families. Um, and those, these are folks from local community organizations as well as um, child welfare staff um, from the county. 
um, would really come together and talk about what they knew about the families in their counties and the resources they need. Now we did focus groups, virtual focus groups with members across all three counties. And we also did um, a survey um, at a couple of points in time to measure like what the benefits were for members who participated. We know that um, what Sarita mentioned, one of the clear benefits was that service providers and perhaps one of those surprises was how much service providers use the online portal themselves because the online portal had the ability to be updated in real time um, as soon as there was a resource. And um, so the providers were utilizing the portal um, frequently to provide service and to help caregivers. But these are some of the ways in which um, focus group participants reported um, the benefits for them uh, as being part of the county collaborative. They could reach previously underserved kinship families, such as informal kinship families in their county. They could help support kinship child stability by helping to keep families together. Um, they could incorporate the feedback of kinship families as part of what we called in the project a localization process. And what that means is that county collaborative members would get together with two, our 211 partner and our iFoster partner led by Sarita Cox, um, as well as our child welfare partners in specific counties and really identify and curate and prioritize the types of resources that kinship families in that county needed and then make sure that they got on the portal as available. Um, the other one of um, the other benefits reported by focus group participants was their ability to collaborate with other partners by creating this forum for resource sharing. And I think one of the interesting points about the collaboratives is that when we asked them if they planned to continue after the uh, demonstration project was over, they said yes. And I think this piece of the model is a very sustainable and cost-effective piece because these are folks that will um, continue to meet and come together and share resources and also um, apply for future grants together um, and really see a commonality of purpose around serving families. Um, so overall, the number and quality of local agency partnerships increased. Um, that was how we were measuring collaboration and the survey. Um, they also reported that um, they were really increasing their opportunities to network with other community agencies and partners um, and increased their, they felt like they increased their capacity to serve kinship families overall through this learning of new resources and sharing knowledge about resources in these meetings. Wow. And, and to, to wrap things up, I, I want to ask the same question to both Michelle and Sarita. And Michelle, we'll start with you. If you two were advised, uh, another community, another agency group, an, another set of, uh, of partners throughout the country, what would be the one key to success that they must have to implement something like this, where you get not only this resource for kinship caregivers, but what turns out to be a resource for providers as well? Michelle, what's the, what's the one thing you would stress that, that's kind of a must-have for something like this? Um, I think it's vitally important that um, any program 
folks that are developing um, this type of service talk to kinship families in the area served and kinship um, providers in order to understand the specific needs in that county and set up a feedback loop for um, feedback and, 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 and really checking to see how relevant um, the resources offered are and what the top needs and priorities are. And Sarita, for, for you, the, the one key in terms of you know, creating this collaboration and, and getting it from idea to conception and, and hopefully with some success on the other end. I think the biggest thing is that the collaborative, those agencies and um, kinship representatives that you have around the table all put the goal, have the same goal. And that is to improve the well-being and the outcomes of children in kinship care in their community. And that that trumps everything that trumps um, organizational goals that trumps, you know, that is the, the ultimate. And when you can put that front and center and you agree as a collaborative that that's what we're focused on, then you get the kind of sharing of information, the kind of due diligence, the kind of everything that Michelle just said, which is, you know, knowing what the needs are, the, finding resources that meet those needs, agreeing on what resources are good or not, doing the due diligence. That all comes from having a common goal. And that is the, the main thing. And I will tell you this, that um, applying for grants together is a great way to tie yourself <laughs> to common goals. <laughs> well, and, and I also think if I could please add that um, conceptually, um, this is a very interesting thought experiment and demonstration project for the Children's Bureau to think about innovative ways um, to engage kinship families through technology. So um, will kinship families use an online self-service delivery option? It would appear that they would, a range of families um, we had over a thousand families register specifically as kinship caregivers and identify that way. But we also had 2000 additional families register um, and identify as uh, foster parents and legal guardians, many of which are kinship families as well. So I think um, really thinking about innovative um, service delivery options for kinship families, some of which we can't track through child welfare and the ways we usually find them. And also the, the other piece that was, was, you know, still continues to be really exciting for me is about how we work with data sets, um, large data sets of resources that iFoster and 211 California together with United Ways of California brought to the table. And we're saying like, we have all of this, how do we best prioritize, filter, and search this to be a benefit and match it to a specific population's needs like kinship families in a specific California county. That's an interesting project for how we might move forward um, in kinship navigation as a field and in kinship studies more broadly. 
Michelle Rosenthal, Sarita Cox, I thank you guys so much for your time. Thank you. There were a number of aspects that came out of that conversation that, that I really liked. How the families embraced the portal and took advantage of the services. Now, two in the morning for a high level of activity, well, that may take some more evaluation to find out why. Also, how the portal became a tool for the professionals. They were able to link their kinship family clients to resources and services. I'd encourage you to visit the webpage for this podcast. Just go to the Children's Bureau website, that's acf.hhs.gov slash cb, and just search podcasts. We've posted some other information that may help, including the Information Gateway web section on funding kinship caregivers and our publication on kinship caregivers and the child welfare system. We are so glad you're a part of this and can join us in presenting this information. So I encourage you to go to the Children's Bureau website and listen to the other podcasts that we've launched, including our conversation on interagency collaboration to address human trafficking and our three-part series on engaging fathers. Of course, be on the lookout for part two of this series on supporting kinship caregivers. We'll hear about a project in the Tampa area of Florida, including how the team overcame some barriers to connect kinship families to resources and supports. As always, you can visit Information Gateway at childwelfare.gov to find helpful information you can share with families, resources to help you improve your practice, everything from management and supervision, training, to working with your sister agencies. You can also grab contact information for support groups and other state and local agencies, those in your area and those all across the country. We can help you with your search too. Just drop us an email at info at childwelfare.gov or give us a call at 1-800-394-3366. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter and look for us at any of the child welfare related conferences that you may attend. For now, we appreciate you joining us so much for this and all the episodes on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast series. I'm Tom Oates from Information Gateway, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.